Welcome to the Wealth and Wellness Podcast with me, Kaylee Boisvert. I specialize in helping people to achieve their financial goals. I have a love for all things numbers, and I am passionate about financial literacy. My goal is to spark healthy and positive conversations around wealth and investment and create a world where nobody is limited by their financial situation. But wealth is just one piece in the equation of living our best lives. So join me as we explore both wealth and wellness topics. From your net worth to your self-worth, get ready to take confident action. Hello, this is Kaylee, and on today's episode, I am going to be revealing the keys to money confidence. So it is my belief that education builds confidence, which leads to confident action. And confident action is really the only way that you're going to reach your goals, financial or otherwise. I'm so passionate about supporting those who are ready to feel in control of their money and take confident action toward financial freedom. So if this sounds like you, then I'm really excited that you're tuning in today and listening to this episode. So the keys to money confidence. I'm going to talk about five keys. The first key is awareness. First, you must know where you stand. So the questions you want to be able to answer to achieve this level of awareness would be, how much money is coming in? How much money do you spend? What is your net worth? Now, one tip I can suggest to make this a little bit easier for you is consolidation to simplify. So what that means is if you have a couple bank accounts outstanding with different institutions, um, same thing with investment accounts, if at all you can kind of bring those together, consolidate, that is generally going to simplify this um, process for you and being able to answer those questions. So tip is consolidation will help you with this and make it a bit easier on you. Another thing I want to mention at this step one or key one awareness is really about being engaged at all times. So never fully giving up control. And what I mean by this is um, scenarios I sometimes come across is people giving up control maybe to spouses, their partners. So saying, you know, I'm not really you know, too keen on the finances and and whatnot. So, you know, you take the lead, you deal with this, you do it all. Or even the same goes with a financial professional. So deciding you're going to work with a financial professional and just sort of passing it all off to them and kind of wanting to take a step back and, and have them just take over. So the reason I caution you against this is I do work with um, a lot of clients post-divorce and what comes out of those conversations or what I've seen um, scenarios that of course I never want to see, you know, replicated or people go through. So that's why I like to share, but scenarios where maybe one spouse, you know, wasn't engaged, they let their other spouse take the lead and then come time sort of the divorce proceedings, understanding the financials and what's there to be split up between them and being blindsided. So being blindsided by things like, you know, thinking they were more ahead, had more savings than they actually had, um, being blindsided by the types of investments. I've seen scenarios where maybe one person was doing all the investment decisions as well, and they were investing in investments that were rather risky, where the other spouse would have was not really 
um, realizing that that was happening and that wasn't really in alignment with their um, risk tolerance and their comfort level. So being really surprised and blindsided by, um, you know, values having gone down because of these high risk investments that they weren't even aware they were invested in. So again, my you know, strong, strong recommendation is always keeping that level of engagement and being part of the conversation, being in the know. So in this key number one, that awareness, answering that question. Um, so third question, we talked about what is your net worth? So what I would suggest for that is for everyone to complete a net worth statement. A net worth statement is really an awareness of where you are now. It's essentially two columns and one column would be everything you own. So that would be your assets versus the other column being everything you owe, your liabilities or your debts. And then ultimately the net worth statement is sort of everything you own, your assets tallied up, everything you owe, your debts um, also added up, and then assets minus liabilities giving you your net worth value. My suggestion would be um, updating your net worth statement on an annual basis if possible or with major life events. So if you have a big change at your career, job, um, or you buy a house, sell property, something like that, definitely that might be a reason to revisit that net worth statement updated accordingly. Um, what is the best way or, or system to use to create this net worth statement? Um, simplest or maybe easiest way that's accessible to most people would just be something like an Excel spreadsheet. So opening up an Excel spreadsheet, having those two columns, listing everything. And again, what this can also function as is your master spreadsheet. So it's kind of that one spot too where you have everything listed. So if something were to happen to you, um, of course, you know, that's not the scenarios that we want to be talking about, but of course, just being prepared for the unknown. So if something were to happen, um, you know, your, your partner or someone else in your life would know to go to this and they can then see from this master spreadsheet, your net worth statement, just what everything is outstanding and what you have um, as far as your net worth. Um, so some examples of net worth entries on the assets side would be cash, so bank account balances, um, investment accounts, so any retirement savings plans, um, tax-free savings plans, those would all be on the asset side. Your home value, so the resale or market value of your home. Any personal property that would have an appreciating value. So that might be something like um, jewelry, artwork. So again, not listing every sort of piece of property around your house, but really just targeting those that you know are going to maintain their value or that that value is going to appreciate. So that's why I usually suggest people don't put their car on the assets level because for the most part, cars are a depreciating asset. On the liability side, um, some things to include would be the remaining balance on your mortgage, any car loans, student loans, any other personal loans or line of credit, and credit card balances. So the other questions that I post, how much money is coming in? How much money are you spending? So I would highly suggest you complete a personalized cash flow statement. So that's my nice way of saying a budget. <laughs> I don't know if people, the budget sometimes a word that people don't like to hear. So that is my nicer way of saying it. But um, I think the opinions are mixed on, you know, whether it's necessary for everyone to do a budget and what that looks like. I do believe it is important just for that. Again, the key number one, awareness, knowing where you stand. I think there is a lot of value of actually going through and looking at your transactions to understand that. So 
I'm not saying you have to do this on a, a daily basis and calculate, you know, every dollar spent, but if you can every so often um, check in on what you are spending again for that awareness. And I was really myself guilty of it, of doing sort of the, the quick, um, pseudo budget in my head. So I would just say, okay, I spend this on my mortgage. This is what I pay for property tax. This is my insurance costs. Um, list all your other costs, sum them up and say, hey, I, I probably approximately spend this much a month. What I found though, I decided to walk the walk and actually go back a month in time, break it down each expense by expense. And it was a really good exercise for me. So again, an awareness, realizing that there were maybe certain buckets that I spent more on than I realized. And for me, that was just a good, um, a good kind of wake up call for going forward, what I wanted to change or adjust in my spending. So I would suggest that you do some form of budget and again, Easiest way to approach this is picking just a past month and looking at all um, maybe credit card statements, um, bank account statements, and looking through each transaction for that month, totaling them up. You can categorize the different expenses as well and just seeing what you actually are spending on a monthly basis. And then from that, what's great too is what comes out of it is you can kind of do some forward-looking goals. So by knowing exactly what we're spending and maybe, you know, you realize, wow, I spend a lot more eating out than I realized. I want to reduce that about by about, you know, $100 a month or, or 10% a month, however you want to approach that. And then from that, you can kind of, like I said, make some forward-looking goals and objectives that you want to achieve from what you learned. Again, don't be too hard on yourself. Like I said, budgets are sometimes sometimes scary or sometimes something we want to avoid. Um, but again, if we're just looking at it as awareness tool, um, we're just wanting to become more aware of what our spending is, where our money's going, and not about you know beating yourself up, um, making yourself feel guilty for any purchases, anything like that. Let's just approach it as I just need to see the facts. I want that awareness, and. For those forward-looking goals, as you're, you know, achieving those on your way, I would suggest, you know, reward yourself, take some time and um, pat yourself on the back for those accomplishments. So reward yourself, but don't spend any money on rewarding yourself. No, I'm just kidding. If, if, if it's in the budget, you can. Um, so key number two, commit to learning. So this one is so important and I like to talk about it because, um, finances, money, investing, they can be scary topics. And I think the challenge or the problem is we don't really have formal financial literacy education throughout our school years, um, whether it's through high school or even into post-secondary. There's not a lot of formal education where we're learning about money and investing and so what happens is, you know, we go through school, we get out into the workforce, we start making money, and then it's like, oh, what do I do? What's next? What's, what's the right thing? What are we supposed to be doing? And when we haven't had that formal education and building those foundations, it's hard. Like you're learning these concepts then for the first time in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, um, but you haven't learned it along the way. So it might be the first time you're being exposed to these topics. So I want to say to that, in this commitment to learning, know then that it is a journey. Don't be too hard on yourself. Take it easy on yourself. We can't just go from, you know, not knowing these topics to understanding them overnight. So don't feel overwhelmed by the information. Um, but why, why I think it's really important to talk about this is 
oftentimes when I'm sitting down with people and you know, unfortunately I hear this more from women than men, but statements such as people saying, you know, women saying money just isn't my thing. I'm not good with numbers. You know, I, I don't like the ideas of finance and, and all that stuff. I find it overwhelming or confusing. Um, so again, what I'd want to suggest for you is sort of throw out those statements because those statements aren't doing us any good. They're, they're actually sort of setting up a block or deciding, you know, we can't learn if we're, if we're saying I'm not good at this money, isn't my thing. Well, then you're sort of blocking off the possibilities with that statement. So first off, throw those statements out. Don't be so hard on yourself. Again, we weren't introduced to some of these concepts for the most part in, you know, in early parts of our lives. So we're learning it maybe right now and it feels like a lot, it's overwhelming, but again, it's like that with anything new we're learning. So don't forget that learning takes practice. It's a journey, it takes time. So what are some ideas for learning? Um, my suggestion would be committing to reading one finance, investing or money related article per week. So I send out a newsletter for instance, and on it, it has six different articles from, you know, curated from a variety of financial um, sources, magazines, things like that. Um, what I suggest to people is just if they can commit to reading one article per week, it's going to start almost that compounding knowledge effect. So you might just read it one article the first week and feel a little bit like there were concepts that were over your head or you didn't really understand. But as you keep doing this on a regular basis, what you're going to find is there are certain topics that come up again and again, and there's maybe we'll start to feel more comfortable. Another idea would be listening to podcasts. So like you're listening to this one right now, fabulous. Any other money related podcasts out there would be a great idea. Reading personal finance books. So The Wealthy Barber, The Wealthy Barber Returns. Those two are by David Chilton. Great books. I like his approach and he, he makes it kind of funny and entertaining. The, La the Latte Factor and Smart Women Finish Rich is another one that I really like. And those ones are by David Bach. Um, another one I like, it's called Quit Like a Millionaire, and that's by Christy Shen and Bryce Leung, and it's a book related to the FIRE movement, so financial independence, retirement early. Um, if that's something you're interested in or a topic you'd want to learn more about, that's a great book on the topic. Um, any other biographies on some of the investing greats, so anything written about Warren Buffett, for instance, would be a great idea. Another idea that a client mentioned to me, um, her and her girlfriends were starting a book club on money and finance books. So they would pick a book and meet and talk about that book after they had all read it. So I think that's a great idea because you're then sort of getting to communicate with others, chat about the topics. If there was something maybe that you didn't understand, you can kind of ask questions, share ideas, and just, yeah, just kind of... Um, yeah, explore it together. And so that's a fun way to do it, I would say, um, and to learn a bit more is doing so amongst friends. Um, taking a course and asking questions. And what I also add to that is keep asking. So if you're asking questions and you're not getting answers that help explain the topics any better to you, then ask and ask and ask and ask again. Um, because topics, when it, when it comes to numbers and math and, and those types of problems, sometimes one person explains it and it doesn't really sink in. But maybe if we, you know, if we ask again or ask someone else, we can kind of take another approach or another way of looking at things and from that actually then feel like, okay, yeah, now I get it. So make sure you're asking until you feel comfortable and 
and have a good level of understanding. So if the person didn't answer it, um, you know, according, like you're still kind of feeling like there's some concepts that are fuzzy or not quite, you know, you're still not quite sure of, ask again. Self-advocacy. So key number three, self-advocacy. So what self-advocacy, what that really entails, it's, it's speaking up for yourself. It means you're able to ask for what you need and what you want and tell people about those thoughts and feelings you're having. So it's a tough one. And I want to give an example of my daughter and her self-advocacy. So I have a six-year-old and she convinced me to take her to McDonald's the other day. It's probably not too hard to convince me, but so I take her to McDonald's and I say, okay, what do you want? And she says, I want fries. And then she said, wait, I want fresh fries. So you heard me right. Not French fries. She wanted fresh fries. And I said, well, I'm not asking for that. Like you ask for it. Um, and she's like, well, I want fresh fries. And then I was like, okay, well ask for it. And of course, asking in a polite way is my recommendation. So um, she politely asked the McDonald's worker for fresh fries. And they were just like, oh yeah, of course. And so we you know, proceeded to order her fresh fries and have to wait for her fresh fries. And she got her, you know, steaming hot order of fresh fries. And, and from that, I just, yeah, I just want to remind people, like she knew what she wanted. So my six-year-old daughter, she knew that fresh fries. I can't, I mean, I can't sort of fault her for that. The fresh fries are really good. So the fact that she knew what she wanted though, asked for it, even where it might've been uncomfortable, but she asked for it again in a polite way. We don't, when it's talking about self-advocacy, we don't have to be mean or bossy or impolite about it, but it does mean just speaking up for yourself, asking for what you need, what you want. And then it just so happens that maybe you'll get your fresh fries. Um, so when I talk about self-advocacy though, what I want to point out too is it seems like sometimes this is very hard when it comes to our money. So why is it so hard for us to advocate for ourselves when it's your money? I have come across people that talk about, you know, working with a financial professional and they're just not really happy with the service. The person's not getting back to them or there's, there's some reason that they're just, you know, it's, it's not a good fit for them. But then they say things afterwards like, well, you know, I feel guilty about moving or I'm not sure if I should. And, and just to that, I, I do say that reminder of, this is your money and you have to advocate for yourself. So if something isn't working, you have every right to make a change. Um, same goes with service expectations. So I always love to ask people too, what are your expectations? Just to understand that we're on the same page. And oftentimes they don't have any answer ready for that. Um, so I would say as well, take some time, sit down and write down, you know, what are your expectations? What do you want? So that way, when you're approached, you know, with a scenario, or if you, you are meeting with or interviewing different professionals, you have that ready. Um, so, so reflect on what it is you need and you want. Again, key to this is interviewing all service professionals. So finding the best fit for you. There's so many different service professionals out there, whether it be accountants, financial advisors, lawyers, personal coaches. It's so important that you find what's good, what's the best fit for you, what's going to work for you, and that you make clear, you know, those, those expectations you have. Advocate for yourself, say what you need, and then see if that's something that they can you know, be a good fit for you on, or do you have to kind of continue on your search? So ask, 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 don't be afraid and be brave because sometimes it, it can be scary. But like we saw with my six-year-old, you know, she was brave.
she went for those fresh fries. Um, so what are some questions for interviewing financial professionals? I want to give you as an example, um, being a financial advisor myself, um, really only like I can only think of one true example where someone came to meet with me and she had this set list of questions ready for me. Like she, she grilled me, like she had question after question and, and I loved it because it just, to me, it just really showed she knows what she wants. And because she knows what she wants, she's going to find it. Like she is going to find that. And if I wasn't the right fit for her, you know, she has this list. She's obviously going to look for the best fit and she's going to be able to achieve that because she really knows what it is and she's asking for it. So some ideas of questions that you can ask if you are looking to interview financial professionals. Um, are you accepting new clients? That's a good one to start with. Um, do you have um, asset level minimums? So just checking in with them because some advisors might have a set minimum of how much um, investable assets that you would have to have before you can work with them. And if that's higher than where you're at, then maybe it's just, Kate, this isn't a good fit and on to the next person, which would be willing to work with you at where you're at. Um, asking about their background, how long they've been in the business, education background, asking them to tell you a little bit about their firm. So you just understand, you know, the, the inner workings of the firm, why they chose this firm, what they like about it. Um, asking if they have a team, maybe who's on their team if they provide financial plans for their clients and if there's an extra cost, um, what their process is for onboarding new clients, asking if they're discretionary or non-discretionary. So discretionary would mean that they're able to trade on the client's behalf. Non-discretionary means that they have to have, you know, verbal approval and confirmation from clients before they make any changes in the accounts. Um, asking what kind of products they're able to sell, whether it be just mutual funds or different types of investments as well. Um, yeah, and asking their service level. So what, what kind of contact can you expect? How many meetings? And just seeing, does that, you know, does that coincide, does that sort of jive with what you wrote down, with what you're expecting? And if so, then potentially it is a good, good fit and you can kind of proceed accordingly. So step number four, key number four, taking action. So to start this one first, I want to premise it with, we need to let go of money guilt. So I have a whole other episode devoted to money guilt, but it has to do with that being paralyzed by, by fear or shame um, when it comes to our money. Maybe we're procrastinating because we don't feel like we're where we, where we should be or other people are that are our age. So again, letting go of all that. So if you watch the episode about money guilt, you'll find out why, but really is because it's not real. There's no reason to wait when it comes to your finances. You don't want to be missing out on the power of compounding growth. And that's what, you know, all us financial professionals are really seeking to achieve for our clients is that compounding growth. So it's starting where you are, um, taking action, pay yourself first, um, pay yourself first. What that means would be as your, you know, money comes in paychecks that you have it, you know, automatically set to go to somehow paying yourself rather than just going out and divvying up between bills. Maybe you have, you know, your paycheck comes in and $200 goes to your retirement savings or $100 goes to your vacation savings fund. So again, you're paying yourself first. And then after that, you can divvy it up between all the different bills and whatnot. But it, it sets such an important message when we're saying, okay, I'm working, you know, for me and my, my efforts is, you know, I'm going to really show that I value my time and what I do every day by saying, you know, this part is for me. This is what I'm keeping. Anything is better than nothing. So I have a client 
her son opened an account with me and he's working his first job. He's putting away $50 a month from his paycheck. And that's amazing. Like just to see this young person being diligent, paying themselves first, setting it up on an automatic basis. So, you know, he's putting himself at such a good place now and going into his future because he's already establishing these great money habits. He's paying himself first. He's getting these very important sort of taking action steps starting so early. And that, again, that effect of compounding is just immensely, um, you know, increased by him starting early. So, Key number five, the last key that we're going to talk about is having a plan. Action is important, but it's even better when it's guided with a plan. So take some time and I would say sit down and dig deeper into what are your goals? What kind of desires do you have? Dreams, financial goals, you know, life goals, whatever that is. Take some time and be really specific about that. Because oftentimes the people people I meet with, when I ask the questions about goals, you know, medium term, short term, long term, what do those look like? There sometimes aren't really specific answers. So take this time and do some sort of dreaming about what it is those goals are and write them down. And that way, when we have that conversation or when you're talking to people and, and planning accordingly your finances to help you meet these goals, then you have a very clear picture of what it is you want to achieve. And then let's make them a reality. Planning also really helps us as financial as financial professionals to know how to invest your money. So the more we know about your goals, what you need the money for, your time frame, then we can develop like develop a very customized investment solution as a result of that. So if we know that you need this money in three years' time for a down payment, then we know that we have to be very careful and um, conservative with this portion of your money. If there's a piece that you're saying, okay, I'm 30 now and it's for my retirement and I don't plan on retiring until I'm 60 years old, then we know that there's a very long-term time horizon on that piece of that bucket. And then we can devise, again, an investing solution accordingly. So the planning is so beneficial and helpful as well to just understand how we're investing because it helps us, sort of it guides us on what would make most most sense and be most appropriate um, for your plan. Also, what's a nice, you know, uh, an exercise to go through um, in this planning phase is what is important about money to you? So uncovering your values and digging deeper into what matters, like, is it freedom? Is it security? Is it adventure? Because what's going to happen is when you really uncover those values and they're, they're unique to everyone. So not everyone's going to have the same. Um, and if you have some overlapping with other people, you might have different priorities though, of which one's more important than others as far as values. But what happens is also what can come out of that is understanding our values is going to help guide all our financial decisions, including our spending patterns. So if you find that you're spending money and, and let's say you're buying purses and clothes and you have guilt feelings after you make purchases like that, maybe when you delve deeper into these, your values and your understanding, well, adventure is really important to me. And adventure would mean traveling and, and getting to do more of that, obviously, when that's able to post-COVID. Or, um, but again, if that's, that's a priority and that's a value but your spending isn't reflective of that, then maybe you do need to make some adjustments and make sure that your spending is in alignment with those values. And that should help kind of 
relieve some any like feelings of guilt or um you know things that you have with your spending that maybe you want to change or anything like that so planning using that time as well to uncover your values Financial plan is what an advisor can put together for you if they are licensed to do so, to do financial plans, or if they have someone on their team who is. And what a financial plan, so a formal financial plan can do, is it can provide clarity and answer some questions to, you know, what is my retirement or financial freedom number? How much is enough? You know, I, is it too late to get started? Am I going to have to work forever? Um, so a financial plan formally done for you will help answer those questions as well. But before you kind of step into that formal financial plan, you will want to do some sort of, um, like I said, writing down, understanding on your own what those goals you have are. And that way then you can be very clear about it and what you want that financial plan to look like. Um, life changes though. So I know obviously it's sometimes it's tough to answer those questions or to know at a certain point in time, because you might be young and say, well, I also plan to have kids one day and I want to buy, buy a vacation property and we might want to move here. And so there's, there's life changes and those are of course going to come up and they're going to happen. And we don't know the answers to them all necessarily today. Um, but what's great about planning is that it's flexible. It can change with the plan as the, you know, our life starts to as we start to get older or things change, planning can kind of be flexible and change accordingly. It should be used as more of a living document and checked in on. Um, people's lives are complex and we are all very unique. So again, this individualized approach is needed because we can't say there's one standard answer to the question of how much do you need to retire? It's going to look different for everyone because everyone's goals on the age of retirement and the type of retirement they want is going to be different. Some people don't even want to retire. So again, there's no set answer and we have to make that individualized approach. And this is going to help with peace of mind too. It's just helping you know that you're on track to achieve the, the goals, desires that you have, and they are all real and possible. And, and that's what's great about planning. So those were the five keys to money confidence. So to recap, five keys, awareness, knowing where you stand, commitment to learning. So it's a journey. Don't be hard on yourself. Self-advocacy. So asking for what you want and need, being brave. Step, our key four, taking action. And key number five, having a plan. So thank you so much for joining me today and I will catch you next time. I hope you found value in this episode. And because I'm such a proponent of taking confident action, I want to pose a question to you, the listener. What is one action that you feel inspired to take after listening to today's episode? If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Thank you so much. And I'll catch you next time.